Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringer's gambling podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta, and they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's make-believe casino where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Tate Frazier, and I'm joined here on this beautiful Wednesday by Mr. Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? It can't get any better than this, Tate. It's we, all good. Life's good. We actually just saw each other not too long ago. No, Monday I mean, morning. It was very early for me. I had just gotten off a flight. I know. I wasn't I know. all put together. I actually, everyone thought that I, I had said that I didn't know who was in the Rolling Stones. I just want to clarify okay. for all these people, Lombardi. I know who's in the Rolling Stones. I know 1969. I was talking <laughs> about the magazine. Oh, I was talking about oh. Peter Travers. It, it oh. all got lost. Peter Frampton, Peter Travers. I got all lost in my head. But for people that think that I don't know who the Rolling Stones are, I mean, that's just offensive to anyone that's born in the 90s. And I'm going to stick up for us because right okay, now I'm glad we got to, nobody I'm happy to hear it. you, you turn know? on millennials all the time and I, I'm trying I to I just thought I accept it I have accepted it look I, when I was in I, look yeah. when I was in the New England Patriots we brought somebody in to teach us about millennials okay it was it really an education it was wonderful I embraced it I'm like looking forward to it I'll tell you this there's no one that can be a millennial that's from my part of the state because we're so far behind the times. We're 30 years back. We're watching You're Dorothy. Mayberry, right? Yeah, no, I mean, basically at this point, I mean, I'm watching TV <laughs> from the 80s. I'm watching the Golden Girls, Three's Company when I was growing up. I mean, it's totally different. There's different variations of millennial. And uh, I just want to put that out there for everyone. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's important that you do. And I'm happy that you know that. I really am, Tate. I'm happy that you know Where's that. Where's Millennial stuff. Matt? We need to bring him back so he can, he can tell us Matt, about Iowa well, millennials. Well, he, that's right. Is he from Iowa? Yeah, he's from Iowa. Oh, that makes it even worse. Well, the, well, the flyover states, you know, we just get overlooked. So I, I got to stand up for worse. us whenever I can. Thanks, um, you, Tate. I appreciate that. I'm, <laughs> and Peter Frampton, I'm pretty, he probably appreciates it, too. You know, he lost his guitar in a plane flight. Did you know that? When? So he was flying his band. This recent? No, no, okay. no. This is like a fascinating story. Oh, okay. And this is off the subject a little bit. But Frampton was flying to a gig and the plane that was, it's almost like a Roberto Clemente. You know, Roberto yeah, Clemente. Like, the Bob plane. Clemente, terrible. Right, so one Rest of those things, he was his equipment was on this plane and the plane crashed and they thought he lost his guitar that's on the cover of Frampton Comes Alive. And some like 50 years later, he gets an email from somebody that says, I have your guitar. Like it's the most amazing story of all time. And the it's, guy didn't pawn it off or anything. You just no, been he like wrote him a letter. It's really you know I watch. I'm old, so I watch CBS Sunday Morning. You know mm -hmm. that that show because you can learn a lot from that. You Absolutely, know? Charlie Rose Char used to. Well, no, it's not Charlie Rose. Now it's Jane Pauley, but oh, it used okay. to be Charlie somebody. There was a bunch of Charlies that ran it, but anyway, it was good. So I learned it on that. But you can learn a lot. You know, you can learn a lot from looking like Yogi says. Of course, of course, yeah. and we have a lot to talk about in the NFL. Let's world. talk about now it, that yeah. we've got past Peter Frampton. We're going to continue. Do you know tell who Yogi Berra is? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. That's a good. Thing. Oh man, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, we're going to talk, of course, you know, we do our favorite Bill Walsh. If we're all thinking alike, no one is thinking. And uh, a lot of people right now are thinking the offensive line play can be improved in football across the board. And uh, can you tell us why we shouldn't be thinking this way? Well, I think that there's a couple of reasons. Look, so when you're in an off-season program, you have two things that you want to do. So after the season ended, New York Giants or the Arizona Cardinals, whichever team you want, you, mm -hmm. have, a, you have a design time in your, the league, right? So you're going to design what you want 
want your offensive line to be. Minnesota knew their offensive line was bad, so they had a design on what they wanted it to be. And then they went out and like a car manufacturer, they produced that design, okay? And they came out and they improved their offensive line. So now Case Keenum looks like a decent quarterback at home playing again with this offensive line. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals decided that they were going to flop tackles, like this is a good idea in their design, and they're not really going to do anything to their offensive line, but it's going to be better next year. And the New York Giants did nothing but bring the same five guys back. So my point here is it's not going to get better for you because the production, the design was bad and then the production was even worse. And so these teams are not going to get better. Baltimore, on the other hand, tried to fix their line. They just had too many guys hurt. Seattle tried to fix their line. They've had too many guys hurt. And so what I think happens now, Tate, is that when you watch the games or when we get ready to prepare for the games, you really have to be cognizant of the matchups between the O-line and the D-line. To me, that's the tale of the season after three weeks. And as a GM, right, when you go into a season, you don't address that issue. You know you have an offensive line. You have an offensive line issue and an offensive line problem. And there's like an expected room for improvement or growth. And that that doesn't happen. What do you do there? Do you just kind of have to roll with it at that point? Is it too late to make an adjustment? Are you trying to make a trade? Are you trying to find a young guy in the practice? Like, I think you got to be open-minded. You can't just say, we're going to let it roll. I mean, that's the Mm -hmm. problem. And this is, to me, this is really what the problem is in the NFL. It's misevaluation of your own team. Mm -hmm. If you can't evaluate your own team, you can't make it, you can't evaluate other players. I mean, look, the the Patriots misevaluated their team and their defensive line. They thought their defensive line was good. When they go against a bad Houston offense, offensive line and they can't get any pressure on Deshaun Watson without blitzing, then you have to take a step back and say, wait a minute, we're not as good as we thought they are. And three weeks into the season, this is when you have to do it. I think now is the time to say, forget the power rankings. Oh, the Chiefs are one, Arizona's two. Like, who really cares about mm-hmm. that, right? You got to evaluate your team and you got to figure out how can we make it better? What can we do to make it better? Is there any players? And unfortunately, in the offensive line, you can't find any other players. But what you could do in the scheme, like last night, like you got three guys rushing against five, okay? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't the guard for Arizona go out and double on Lawrence? He was amazing last night, by the way. He was great, right? I mean, put him in the Pro Bowl right now after that game. Mm-hmm. Even though he powered Valdo here back to the quarterback every single time, at some point you got to say, what, what people tell the quarterback when they rush three, there's a code in the NFL. If they rush three, the quarterback says to himself, I'm going to hold the ball longer. Because they can't, I got five blocking three. It's mathematics, right? But last night, because the guards for Arizona wouldn't go out and help the tackles, it was three on three, and the two guards stood there like chooches. Why? I wonder what the hell's going on. You can't do it. So scheme has to play into this. And they picked on uh, 53. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Uh, every single time Lawrence was lined up against him, it was basically bully ball. They just He just threw him down and got to... Shipley? Or, yeah, I mean, Shipley. It was Shipley. Shipley. I mean, I was there was it. another... That's part of the production. He was on the line last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arizona went to all their games last year in 2016. Their line was crappy last year. They come back with the same line and they're wondering, why isn't it any better? I don't understand. Like, at some point, like, you got to sit there. And, and, and then you're throwing the ball down the field. Like, at some point, I'm screaming at the TV. Bella's getting pissed at me. Like, can't we throw? Can't we chip these ends? Like, why wouldn't we double? Why wouldn't we take some fat offensive lineman and say, you're a tight end now, and you're going to line up wherever Lawrence is, and we're going to throw the ball? Mm-hmm. And we would have won the game. 
But to me, it's like you got to make some in-game adjustments, and that's what that's what I don't see happening. That's why the offensive lines are getting beat. People want to get five out in a route, and nobody's helping out. Is it one of those things too, where David Johnson, if he's in the game, they expect him to be able to handle a, a pass rush and be able to pass protect? And now they don't have him, so they can't rely on like Andre Ellington is out there, and he's more of a right. He's Darren a receiver. Type. Yeah, he's, he's basically a receiver. a receiver at this point. Right. But like to me, there's a way around it. If you can't do it, like to me, the teams that can make the adjustments now, you know, look, Arizona's going to play this week against San Francisco. And the way their right tackle plays at Arizona, everybody's a good rusher. Mm-hmm. Because if you can, if you can't handle power as an offensive lineman in the NFL, you get pushed back. You make everybody a good rusher. And I think that's where the problem is. In the offensive line, it's how these teams are going to adjust their schemes. You're not going to find any players. There's no magic formula to find players now. You've got to adjust your scheme around your quarterback. And what I think Arizona's done a bad job of, and what the New York Giants have done a bad job, is adjusting their scheme. Like They can't get five out. You're not going to be able to do that because your quarterback's going to get killed. And it's not just offensive linemen when people are, everyone's talk, thinking about old QBs and how they're going to play well. And that's another thing for all thinking like no one is thinking. And right. We're all thinking that Carson Palmer is the Carson Palmer that we expect right. him to be. We're thinking that Eli Manning is who we expect Eli Manning to be. Yeah. And Philip Rivers, that whole class of guys. And right now, they don't look like, I mean, Carson Palmer had the one touchdown pass to Fitzgerald when he run that great, like he cut in, he was going to do the slam, and he dug back right. out to the post. Right. So beautiful pass to the corner, looked like vintage Carson. But then at the end of the game, he kind of loses it as the game goes well, on. Because they didn't do anything to protection. They had the same coverage. If they would have just chipped the end, they had a touchdown over there, they could have done it. They didn't fandle their protection. But I think that's the other point about this conversation is like there always is, you know, when you're in scouting, there's always an age limit that you worry about a player. Parcells would always worry about a linebacker who got over 31 years old. Tom Brady has created a problem for most of these NFL teams because Tom Brady's playing at 40 like most guys play at 32. Mm -hmm. And so now you take the Tom Brady magic and you transpose it over everybody else when the reality of it is, is Eli at 36 ain't playing good. Philip Rivers at 36 isn't playing good. Big Ben at 35 isn't playing very good. And I think that because we see Brady playing good at 40, we think, or Drew Brees playing good at his age, everybody can do it. And when you really break these quarterbacks down, I mean, right now, in the last 13 games, Philip Rivers is 3-10. and I mean, he's 3-10 and over the last 13 games. He's 5-14 and in the last 19 games. I mean, his percentages are going down in almost every single area. It's alarming. The thing you guys have an advantage in basketball is guys that get older, you can see their legs. They can't jump anymore. You yes. can see it. It's pretty obvious. With quarterbacks, like whether it's Phillip Rivers or Eli or Ben, you can't really notice their declining skills as much because it's hard to really see. Rivers, you have to worry about him. I mean, he's making mistakes that if he was a rookie, they would have pulled him. I mean, Big Ben, the first play of the game is a touchdown against the Bears, and he can't hit the guy. The guy just misses him by a little bit. It misses receivers the whole game. I mean, their accuracy is going down, and it's about their lower bodies. I think that's the big problem. I think we're looking at quarterbacks like, oh, Brady's old, so they should still be playing old, when the reality of it is I'm not sure they are playing very good. The last time that I can remember this being a thing where it was visible that it was a totally different quarterback was Peyton Manning when that like week four or week five range, when his arm, his arm strength in right. general, it just looked like it wasn't there. And it was like, oh my God, he can't can't make that 15 yard out anymore. You can't throw that pass. But for Eli and Phil Rivers and Roethlisberger, they still look like they have the the ability at least to make the throw. But Eli, he does that weird thing. We saw this last week where he does the spacing play where it's a three to five yard pass. Right. So who knows? Like, you know, I haven't quite seen Eli be the guy that's going to throw it deep to a Eli's not holding the ball. Eli's not holding the ball. He's getting getting rid of it. He goes down. I mean, a good stiff breeze and he's going down. He feels pressure. (laughs) He's going down. Right. Yeah. And so they don't do anything to protect him so that he goes down. But I think the reality here is, is because you don't see a decline in their arm strength, you think they're still the player they were. When we have to stop evaluating quarterbacks, 
quarterbacks like just with their arm. It's also the punches that they've taken, how many times they've gotten hit, and how many punches they see being thrown that really aren't being thrown. That becomes a problem. And so when they can't make the plays that they're used to making, like Palmer, I mean, I give Palmer a ton of credit. I mean, he stands in there and he takes a beating mm-hmm. and he keeps coming back. His eye level really never goes down. If you protected Palmer based on what he played last night, he could be much better. But they're never going to protect them. They want to get five out. Same thing with Big Ben. I mean, they're trying to get guys in it. But what's killing Ben more than anything is they have no running game right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the hard part about Pittsburgh. They're not running the ball like they used to. Their offensive line isn't playing to the level that they're used to playing. And I think that's the problem. And can we just say that Drew Brees, I know we always talk about Tom Brady and how impressive he is at 40, but for Drew Brees to be doing what he's doing right now, I saw him live in person. He looks like Drew Brees from 2008 right. still for, no. for, for whatever reason. I mean, he just still has it. And he doesn't look phased by anything that's going. Everything looks slowed down, and he handles. Every and he handles time in the it. And he still throws the ball down the yeah. field. And I mean, they haven't done a good job. Like to me, I think this is going to be the key. Week four is going to be a really good week to determine how teams adjust their offense. Whether what will Philip Rivers do? What the San Diego chart? They can't run the ball. San Diego can't run the ball because they haven't been able to be effective there. So they're putting the burden on responsibility on Rivers. Same thing in Pittsburgh. They haven't now. Though Pittsburgh eventually run the ball because they've got a great back. But Eli can't run the ball. And I think what we learned here is the teams that have to, these 36-year-old guys that have to carry the team on their back, they can't do it anymore. I'm hoping that those teams, the Arizonas, the Giants, the Steelers, they'll take a chance. You know, I hope that they just don't keep running the same thing out and expecting, you know, different results. Yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh will change. I think Arizona's stubborn as hell. I mean, after the game, Bruce Arians said, you know, we just got to block better. I don't know if they can block better. Like, I don't know if that's the formula. Like, they can't do that. They're not good enough to block better. We make a lot of Andy Reid jokes about time management and especially game management, but Bruce Arians has had some tough time with that. I know that he has a little bit of a rap on that too, but last night it was it, it was pretty 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 yeah, tough. I him. had Bruce close to being a red coach, and after last night, I mean, even Sean McDonough was on him. I yeah. mean, like that was that was a really really difficult. Uh, that was a horrible mistake. I mean, that's one that your team's looking at you like, really, you just did that. Like you lose credibility with that. And I think what happens is when you're calling plays, I think that affects you. And is that just a stubborn thing being a coach? I think it's an emotional thing. I think, you know, we, we don't realize at times is when we're watching a football game uh, that really the guy who's the head coach is a chess master. He's running, it's he's playing chess, right? And so he's... Chess players don't get emotional. They play the game. They play all the plays out. They've they've studied former. Why do they study former games so they can know what to do when they're in the game? Same thing a head coach should do. I've studied all these former games. This is how it happens. If you approach your game like a chess master, you don't have any emotion. But when you approach it as on a play-to-play basis, like the Arizona Cardinals did last night, then you're emotionally, you throw the flag out. I just did it because I was pissed. That's not a good reason. I think that's what he did. He made an emotional decision, not a smart decision. And we kind of give him a little bit of of a pass because he's calling all these plays. He's worrying about the formations on defense for Dallas. He's personally adjusting his offense on the fly and also having to manage a game, which is a lot to ask. But on the other side, because he throws that challenge flag, throws it away. Everyone can see on the replay that that, that's not going to hold up. It definitely wasn't a catch that Jenkins pass that he challenged. Throws away a timeout. And then Jason Garrett. Not to be denied. He will not be denied. He will not be denied. A guy guy that's not calling the game. But he went to Princeton, so he's really (laughs) smart now, Tate. He went to Princeton. Stop it. you got to stop this. He went to Princeton. Larry Fitzgerald goes up to Orlando Skandrick. He went to Princeton. Steals the ball from him in the air. It's right in front of him. Right in front of him. The whole bitch. Dak Prescott watched the whole thing. If anything, he should have gone up and said, hey, Jason, I think that's a catch 100%. Well, first of all, all, the DB never thought it wasn't a catch. Oh, yes. The DB, he never thought it wasn't. He was like, oh, my God. Yeah, he couldn't believe it. He got a stolen. He got an interception stolen from him. And then Larry throws the ball like to me you can see the reaction by the players when you see it 
Like, and when Larry threw the ball back, there was never a doubt. Like, Larry knew he caught the ball. Like, that's just, why not take a second and just, like, take time out here, okay? Like, okay, and watch it and see. But, you know, I mean, look, I think the, I think the Cowboys last night, uh, Jason Garrett got the Gruden, what's that Gruden Award? Oh, the Gruden Grinder. Yeah. It was beautiful. I was so happy for him because I've been talking, you know, Gruden came out and he said the media talks a lot of junk about this guy. About Garrett? About Garrett. Oh, he's probably yelling at us. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, that's probably Mike Lombardi. Not me. It's no, definitely, no. definitely you. I say only glowing things about Jason Garrett, but he came out, gave him the award, said he deserves it. But I think that was a bad sign that he threw that challenge flag out. I mean, that's something well, that's going to come I want to know, like, what did Garrett do to get that award? I mean, wouldn't you have given that award to Dak Prescott? I mean, Dak Prescott makes two plays. He makes two of the plays of the game. I mean, they weren't designed. I mean, that wasn't like, okay, Dak. Okay, here's what we're going to do, Dak. (laughs) We're going to make you make the tackle, the end miss when he's coming up to tackle you. And then you're going to scramble to your right. And then you're going to hit Bryce down the field on just a bullet, ideal throw. On the run, unbelievable. I designed that in my head. Come on, (laughs) give me a break. I mean, that's Dak Prescott being great, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and, and, and they're having a hard time. One thing I will say, they tried to move Dez around last night. They were trying to move Dez around, trying to get him to... To do something, and they still have a hard time getting Des the ball. They did do a, a nice uh, little segment with Gruden at the end of the game, and they were comparing him to Anquan Bolden, like a way that he could find a role where you're ten yards and in, you're going to take short routes, little slants, you're going to try to use oh, your strength. I didn't strength. see this. No, yeah, I didn't yeah, see yeah. this. So oh, I thought were that was they like, talking about Des. They're talking about Des, and I'm sure he wasn't flattered by that because he still probably views himself as a premier elite receiver. But they were basically saying he can't take the top off a of defense anymore. Oh, even really? Though, even though he's never really quite been that guy. Oh, I mean, really? I, so, so, somebody's listening to GM Street. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored by this. <laughs> somebody's so, listening to GM so Street. So, Anquan Bolden was a comparison, and uh, I thought it was pretty fair. I mean, I, I think Dez could be that guy. I mean, that 12-yard touchdown, I, I mean, mean, that, that was, was great. pure strength. I, and I wrote, and I and I tweeted out, I said, like, look, if I'm the Cowboys, I might put him in the backfield and give him the ball like Cordell Patterson does for the Raiders. And mm-hmm. people said, well, you said he can't take the top off the no he can't i mean he can't run anymore i mean that's pretty clear right yes i mean you can see he can't separate like a big t- now, does that mean he can't pl- does it mean he can't play no that doesn't mean he can't play and especially against peterson when he's being he's going to get he's a always going to get the best corner yeah, exactly. he's always going to get the best corner you know to me he's going to get xavier rhodes or whoever he's going to get and, and so what he has to do is win the physical matchups and the one thing about this guy is he's competitive which you got to love right mm-hmm. and with the ball in his hands he could be disruptive so you got to get him the ball. The problem you get into is when they move him around and they're not supposed to move him around. Like last night when they moved him around and he came over in the slot, I'm like saying to the TV, I told Bella, it's a screen. You know, like it's going to be a screen. And that's they throw him a screen. Like you can kind of know where he's lined up because he likes to be in one spot all the time. And that's where he's the most comfortable. And if he plays against zone, like the touchdown pass was really against zone and he gets a free release, he's going to be fine. He's going to give him the ball. But I think my point is he's not worth $16 million the way they're paying him. He can't change the game. He doesn't tip the scales. He doesn't make it a better game, uh, a better – he doesn't make the offense better. And I think the way the formula to beat the Cowboys is what the Cardinals did. The problem was the Cardinals are a 50-minute team. And that was the Des Bryant Spotlight sponsored by Jordan Brand. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about – some people, some teams, and, and insult some people. Some situations that need to get insulted. We'll be All back. Right. If you travel for business, you know it's a game of wins and losses. Having your hotel room away from the elevator, that's a win. Not having Wi-Fi in your room, man, that's a huge loss. Buy your business trip at Upside.com. Well, that's not just a win. That's a triple win, or what I would call a triple header win. Number one, Upside has the absolute best available prices for flights, hotels, and rental cars. Win number two is that Upside will reward you with a gift card to places like Amazon.com, where I go every day, and every time you buy a business trip. And number three, Tate, it's an amazing six 
six-star treatment you'll get from Upside's customer service specialist. Six stars, wow. Six stars, who they call the Navigators. I like that. One recent Upside customer had a flight delayed for two hours, so a Navigator arranged for him to have a complimentary access to the airline's executive lounge just to pass the time. And I'm going to start an Upside six-star treatment right now. Go to Upside.com, use my code NFL, and you'll get a minimum of $100 gift card to Amazon.com. That's code NFL for a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com when you buy your next business trip at Upside.com. Upside.com, you deserve a better business trip. Minimum purchase required. See sites for complete details. And Lombardi, we're not done there. I want to tell you guys about Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These aren't last resort places. They're actually cool, top-rated hotels you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip you've been waiting to take for a while. I will tell you this, Hotel Tonight's going to hook it up because I'm going to go down to Palm Springs pretty soon to get a vacation, and I'm going to use Hotel Tonight, Lombardi, because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, three taps, and a swipe, so get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. All right, Lombardi, we're back. We've done this the past few weeks. We're actually going to call this not for nothing. It's, not a, it's for a nothing. nice little phrase. It's yeah. soft in the blow a little bit. So not for nothing. The Miami Dolphins. We're going to insult them, though, I hope. Yeah, right? we're going to okay, insult good. them just a little bit. Uh, they are right now one and one. They get this nice win out in Los Angeles. They're going to London. Carson, Carson Stadium. They're going to go to London. Um, but... They need to get insulted a little bit. What are you going to say to the Miami Dolphins? Well, right I now? don't have to say anything. I'm really proud about this because Adam Gase said it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, Adam Gase said a lot of bad football. He said more mental errors than we made the last two years. I mean, he's Adam Gase is on top of it. Adam Gase is like, look, you know, we didn't really win the first game of the year. I mean, if the Chargers had a field goal kicker, which still blows me away, like I don't know how the Chargers could go into the season with a field goal kicker who they never attempted a 40-yard field goal in the preseason. Do you realize that? Uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's be- it, it was a great story for Young Way Koo and the whole rig- – I think uh, they got caught story. up in the narrative. But, but anyway, football. so but that game there, they win because of a missed field goal, which when you're on the plane ride home, you're celebrating, you won the game. I mean, that's great. But deep down, you got to know you're not playing very good. So the next week you come out and you lay a giant egg against the against and the that might be an understatement to the new york jets i mean they well, were dominated they were dominated i mean the week before against the chargers cutler's nine for nine on third down now he didn't convert all the third downs but he was nine for nine in passing on third down this week they only converted one third down their offensive line was horrible they couldn't get the ball down the field i mean they just weren't ready to play and i think the problem is why i'm insulting the miami dolphins is i'm not sure they're going to be better than the buffalo bills like, I think the Buffalo Bills will give them everything they can handle. And everybody thinks the Miami's going to be 10 and 6 and come back. But Buffalo, to me, looks like the better team in terms of the complete team. Miami's defense, look, look, the Jets got to love them. They try hard. I love you, Mick. But they're not a great, great offense. Now, they got better because they got Curly running routes and they got uh, the kid from Seattle, Kirsch, coming in there. Yeah, and he's making Kirsch. plays. But I mean, McCown did a nice job of shredding the Miami defense. To me, I think Miami's a really a problem. I do too. I mean, I, th- I think that they have a lot of trouble. And I mean, you mentioned the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Ty Taylor, Tyrod Taylor does not get enough credit for being able to manage that offense. And they're putting him in the right position to win those games. Cutler just looked out of his element in New yeah. York. He now looked like it was just too much. They're going to blame Cutler, but I mean, when, you, when Miami can't run the ball, 
When you make Miami play left hand, everybody thinks Miami three receivers. They got three great receivers, and they do. They're good. They have three talented receivers. But you, and you're on the road. You got to be able to run the football. You got to have some balance. You can't go into visiting stadiums whether there's nobody at this game or not and throw it 50 times. You're not going to win those games. It's too hard. Puts too much pressure on the quarterback. He's going to make too many mistakes. I, I give it to Todd Bowles. I mean, that defense came out and they kicked butt. I mean, they beat Miami up front, and then Miami's defense, which is talked about, oh, they got Branch and they got Sue and they got all these great players. They couldn't stop anybody against the Jets. I mean, they struggled. And now they play New Orleans this week, which is a really good matchup for New Orleans because New Orleans will be able to handle them. They, don't, they won't match up very well against New Orleans. The problem is going to be, can New Orleans match up to their offense? Well, and can Miami score with New Orleans? I think it's going to be, I think the Londoners are in for a good game. I mean, last week they saw Blake Bortles light it up. I mean, this week, one of the quarterbacks is going to play really well, whether it's Cutler or, 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 um, or Breeze. Or Breeze. I mean, they're going to play it really well. So I, I think you got, you know, that'll be a good game. But to me, Miami, just just after two weeks, they haven't looked like they're really a, a playoff caliber team yet. And I think Adam Gase sees it. Do you think that the Jets will end up being at the bottom of the AFC when it's all said and done? I mean, do you think... I, I think they probably won't be the best team, but they're playing hard and they're, you know... like That's every, what I mean. I've watched all these Jets games and I I mean, a lot of people dog them and everyone makes fun of them. It's like almost a joke or running joke to make fun of the Jets, but they... McHale tries hard. He'll run for 30 yards. Oh, he'll take a huge his, hit. He he's doesn't playing, care. I mean, he's playing hard. I mean, they, this whole Sam Darnold notion is just ridiculous because like this all oh, we're going to tank for Sam Darnold. We want the higher draft pick. When, you know... Garoppolo, they won't trade him, and he's a second-round pick. Derek Carr's a second-round pick up there. I mean, we're seeing that that there's no lock just because you get the first pick, you're going to get the best player. I mean, look, Carson Wentz was the second pick. He's better than the first pick. So I, I think you have to instill a culture in winning, and I think that's what the Jets are trying to do. Miami, on the other hand, I think losing that week of the first game of the season hurt them. Both teams that didn't play the first week played good the second week and looked bad the third week. Maybe there's a pattern there. I mean, Tampa didn't look good either. I mean, we could insult them as well. We won't do that this week, but maybe next week. So look, good good for the Bucks that they avoided this one. Next up, not for nothing, the Arizona Cardinals. We mentioned this a little bit. We'll probably just touch on them. Just, you know, a couple couple insults. Uh, the game management by Bruce Arians and just well, the, the whole game in general. I mean, it was yeah, really I tough think, for the I think the, really the hard thing without without beating it, like Parcells would say to me all the time, quit kicking the horse, it's already dead. Like, you know, the, no sense of kicking a dead horse. But the reality here is, is like they have to make some adjustments in Arizona. I mean, they're not the team. Arizona thought they were great last year when they opened up with New England. Mm-hmm. And they, they have to have really, Arizona needs true serum. They, need, they all need to go in a room and say, this is who we really are. And we need to fix out who, how, we need to fix our team based on who we really are because we're not a great team. And I thought at the end of the game last night, they kind of like wilted away. They didn't really compete. And I think Bruce's game management affected them. I think Carolina's game management, you were at that game. I mm-hmm. mean, what was your reaction when you saw when you saw Ron Rivera not go for it? What, well, well, he's Riverboat Ron, right? I mean, that's that, whenever the infamy and the fame of this whole Carolina Panthers run, yeah. when everyone wanted to jump on the bandwagon, it was all Riverboat Ron. He'll go for it on fourth. Cam Newton's going to run the ball. And that whole idea, the defense is really tough as Keekley and Thomas Davis. Those two guys were at the sideline heckling back and forth in between plays the entire game with Rivera and the whole staff. Cam and Mike Schuler like doing cold stares at each other. It just it doesn't look like the team is all together on the same page for whatever reason. And when something like that happens, a whole crowd's trying to find something to get galvanized by, and you don't go for it. I mean, people are just kind of like, well, what are we doing here? You, you could 
try to make it a two possession game at this point, at least try to make it a contest. But instead, you're just kind of content with, you know, getting your ass kicked. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes when you're watching those games, like to me, the four going for it on fourth down is all predicated on how you're actually playing. Like, I mean, the the Eagles on fourth and eight, I mean, you know, you have to manage the situation and bring it in. And then how your defense, the Eagles defense was playing really good up until that point. Same thing with Carolina. I mean, you're, you, th- you really think your defense is going to stop New Orleans? I no. mean, you can't. So you can't, you, They had Michael, Shaq Thompson. So they had the three linebackers, Shaq Thompson, Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis. Guess who they're guarding? Michael Thomas, 24-year-old out of Ohio State, runs a 4-4. Right. It isn't going to work. No, I And know. he was burning them every time. I mean, Drew Brees is smart enough to know that, hey, Shaq Thompson's going to go out on Michael Thomas. He's going to be wide open down the field. And they burn him three or four separate times, and they're running over to the sideline. They're like, hey, this isn't working. we got to get a nickel out here to guard this guy. Right. And, and, and nothing well, was being changed. Well, that'll happen this week, too, because what'll happen New Orleans when they go up to Carolina, when Carolina goes to New England, New England will try to make them play their base on the field. And when if they play base against New England's 12 personnel, that'll be the same problem. And that's what you can't do. You have to try to change the narrative during the game. And Carolina has a lot of money in their linebackers. They got a first round pick at Shaq Thompson. They paid mm-hmm. Keekley. They paid Thomas Davis. So they try to keep those guys on the field because they want to be able to stop the run. Okay. They want to stop the run first and force you to throw the ball. But the matchup favors you to throw the ball when you're in 12 and they gain the advantage. And I think that that's really what they have to figure out a way to play nickel and be effective run defenders. And I think that's their issue right now. Yeah. And they don't have Chris Gamble or, or, or a guy of that level in the outside that can really guard a, a top they receiver. They don't have a slot corner and yeah. the guy on the outside. No, they have to be his own team. I mean, that's right. They're, they're going to be, and that's who they are. I mean, the same thing with Buffalo. That's who they are too, because it's the same scheme. But yet Buffalo is able to match up and play better. They have a better slot corner. I, I think it's it'll be interesting. Carolina's problem besides the game management is really trying to find the identity of who they are. And I would just say this about Carolina. A lot of people think that it's a totally different team. All these things have changed. What has really changed is the defense was good enough to keep them right. like they did the first two weeks. Right. It's like we're you can score ten points and we can win ten to nine. Right, and that's just not the case anymore. I mean, Cam, Cam there has to be some sort of, and it's not like they they don't put the onus on Cam to, to audible at the line and to make all these changes. Like he goes in, he has a play call, he's going to run right. the play, and it's going to be a rhythm throw. And if someone picks it, or someone knows it's coming, they can pick it off, and it's going to happen. So there has to be some sort of change in philosophy, and I don't know if that's going to happen or if it can happen. I don't know if it can either, but I know this: they rely on their red zone defense to be really effective. And when their Mike, like Luke, Ke- like Keekley, is so effective in the red zone, they can keep people to hold people to field goals. But when they play a team like New England this week, who realizes their defense, New England can't play defense next week more than 25 minutes against anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, they if they played Alabama, they couldn't play defense for 25 minutes, right? So New England knows going in the game, they got to play offense for 35 minutes. And so they're going to have to be really good on third down. They're going to have to control the clock and pace the game. And I think that's how you have to beat Carolina. Carolina is not going to be able to score enough points in 25. But if Carolina can get it to 30 and 30, they have a chance. To me, that's how you have to play the game. You you, you have to now, after three weeks, you got to figure out how to want to play this game. And I think that's what we're going to find out. And they all needed to get insulted a little bit. They so. did. Well, I mean, Carolina, look, I, I think that last weekend was a great weekend for Everybody who was feeling good. Bobby Knight, one time we went to, I'll tell story time now. So Belichick and I, and uh, we're at the Browns and we drive down. We'd always go to Indiana Mm -hmm. to watch Indiana practice, to Bloomington, to watch Coach Knight practice. And so Gil Brandt met us there one year. And the best part of doing it was we would go out to lunch or dinner with Knight afterwards. And he would just basically hold a clinic on what he would think about and and one of the times we went, it was really fascinating because he talked about the outside factors, how they affect players. 
And he, and he would be like, you know, if we could just keep these kids in, in like a room where they didn't listen to any of the noise. And this is, this is before we all had cell phones. Yeah, this is 90s, right? Yeah. And this is the, the 91, 92. Yeah, it's yeah. in there. So, you know, and so the, the noise wasn't as loud then as it is now. And so what, what you see now is, is there's so much noise on the outside that the players hear this. And after two weeks, three weeks, you start to think you're pretty good. And they all look at the power ratings and they say they're pretty good. And Knight's like, if we could just keep them from ever going too far one way or the other, too high or too low, we'd have a chance to have a really good team. And, and that's really proven true. Like, okay, the Jets get blown out in, New, in, in Oakland. To me, they were going to play Miami good the next week. I mean, because you know why? Because Bowles had their attention. Just like this week, Miami will play good in London because Gase will have their attention because the noise from the outside will be beating them on a negative way. But when it's that positive way, that's the hard challenge. And when you win, like Arizona, I think Andy Reid's done a nice job. They've won three games and he's not listened to the noise. And he's heard them, he's heard them how great they are. You can't believe how great you are and you can't believe how bad you are. I will say with the Chiefs too, is like when Eric Berry went down after that first game, everyone sort of wrote him off again. Right. It's, it's like he's used something each week to be like, now people don't think that you're going to do it because of this person. Now people right. don't think you're going to do it because of this person. It but, helps your motivation. Yeah. I mean, like it'll help New England now when everybody talks about how bad they are on defense. But I mean, historically, I mean, they're on pace. They're on pace to be the worst defense in the history of the NFL right now. I mean, think about that. That's, <laughs> That's a crazy. Bill Belichick defense. So they're going to use that as motivation. And I think some of these teams, like the Chargers, they can mm. use that as motivation to help them play the Eagles this week. The Eagles are coming out here two and one, kick a sixty-one yard field goal. They're flying out to LA thinking, oh man, this is going to be no this be we'll beat this team. No problem. Well, you know, now Anthony Lynn has a chance to really see if he can motivate the team and see if they can pay attention. To me, that's what the NFL is fascinating about. And it happened with the Raiders, too. We saw that. The Raiders, they every, every, everyone's saying that they're the second best team, possibly the first best team in the AFC. They fly across the country and they play in FedEx Field and Kirk Cousins cuts them up. Because, they, because they, they don't, it's not that they don't take them seriously, is that they believe it's back to the night conversation. They kind of believe what they want to hear. I thought Minuski, the defense coordinator of the Redskins, was great when he talked about, he was just like, look, you know, we beat, we, everybody's talking about how great golf is and how great the Rams are. We stoned them, and then we come back and play the Raiders, and we stone them. Nobody's giving us credit. He's right. And he's using that mentality to help their defense, which to me, when I watch them, they played really good. They played two teams. They played sound. Their defensive line has controlled the game. I think Thomas Sula has done a great job for the defensive line, and I think Minuski's done a good job. So he has and the, Zach Brown. And Zach Brown. He he's has their amazing. attention. He's been great. I mean, yeah. Zach Brown was good last year. The problem with Zach Brown is, does everybody think he knows what he's doing? And obviously he does. Yep, absolutely. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. No, I didn't Sorry. insult him. I didn't insult insulted him. him a little bit. Quick break to get a word from some fantasy football friends. Fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to join the 450,000 people that have already downloaded Draft this season. You get to play in a real-life snake draft, but you're done in under five minutes, and they last for just one week. You can join one right now for week four. The best part, play for cold, hard cash, and get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code The Ringer. That's right, play a real money game for free just by using the promo code The Ringer, and it gets even better. Draft.com is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering our great listeners of DM Street a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play free right now with promo code The Ringer. That's a Benjamin. Go do it the past couple of weeks we've been doing the college lottery yeah. basically guys are going to be the 
some guys to watch that will be coming in the NFL next year. That'll be big time, guys. Uh, we got Luke Falk, and he's playing Sam Darnold this week. And Friday night in Spokane. Have you ever been to Spokane? I've never been to Spokane. I've never even been to the no, state it's not of Spokane. Washington. You've never been to Spokane? Well, it's two different states. I mean, so the western part of the state is Seattle, and it's beautiful. And the eastern part of the state is kind of like potato country. It's beautiful up there. There's a lake called Quarter Lane in Idaho. It's beautiful. Potatoes, those are mine. That's family. Yeah, that's your, you know, it's all good. But anyway, it's not in Spokane. The game will be played in Pullman, which is about an hour south of Spokane. Okay. Kind of a, you know, and there's the University of Idaho and the University of Washington, Washington State are right side by side. Mm-hmm. One's in Idaho. But, you know, they haven't they haven't been, you know, this will be like a crazy atmosphere. And I think this will be a great evaluation tool for the scouts at home. You guys watching, is Sam Darnold really going to be able to go up there? Can he not turn the ball over? Can he handle the hostile environment? Can he play well there? I mean, he did against Texas. He made some mistakes. I think there's no lock that Sam Darnold's going to be the next John Elway. I think we have to temper that and say, okay, who is he really, and understand that. And I think we get to see Luke Falk play against a team that's got really good skill players. And if he can play well in this in this situation, then his stock goes up. So to me, this is kind of like a stock game. When you look at Falk, I mean, is this a Jake Locker situation where he's playing at Washington and then we watch him in these big games and he plays up to the level and we all expect it? You know, because a lot of the times, like when you build up these big games and then someone does deliver. It doesn't matter what they do after that. We've already decided they are yeah. a top-level Well, you know, guy. when Derek Carr came out, he played against SC, and everybody said, well, you know, he didn't play good against SC. Well, the game was moving faster, right? And his, the Fresno State players that, that – that It's he, a different caliber a game. Different caliber. So yeah. the, he took the brunt of that. That's why he's a second-round pick. Everybody looked at that USC tape and said, well, he really didn't play very good in that tape. Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to play good. I think Falk, you know, going back to – Jake Locker, yeah, Jake yeah. Locker. Uh, Locker, to me, was always a kid – that was the best athlete on the team that they made into a quarterback that really wasn't a quarterback. Like, yeah. he should have been a running back. The Ryan Tannehill. Right, yeah. right. Exactly. I mean, to me, when I looked at when I looked at him, I thought, you know, he's more of a – he was the kid who was always the shortstop in Little League. He, you know, he could do so many things, but he played quarterback, and that wasn't his natural position. Falk, on the other hand, doesn't have great skill level. He doesn't have a big arm, but he has a way of running this offense, and this offense has never transposed itself into the NFL. I mean, how many Texas Tech quarterbacks have not really played well in the NFL under the Mike Leach administration of offense. So it's going to be really fascinating to see if Falk can come in and play this way. Davis Webb went, Mahomes went last year. So we're seeing a trend that that's going in that direction. I like it. I, I think it'll be I, a good game. I, I think Falk is, I, I believe in Falk. I just get, I always temper my expectations because I kind of look at the schools and how they end up, you know, turning people out and just kind of seeing the positions, especially. And, you know, Locker was a little bit of a folly. I think so. the, the one thing we can accomplish on this podcast is to temper everybody and lower it. Like, like Rosen is going to be the first or second pick. Like, stop, please. Like, just watch him play. Let him define who he is. Stop trying to define him too soon. He Keep watching him play. If you think he's great and he's playing great, his team will win. Or he'll do things that will make you just grade what you see. And so this game against SC for Falk and for Darnold against Washington State, we just get to grade what we see. We don't have to rush to a judgment. And I think that's where we get the mistakes being made. I think people are too too much in a hurry. And people want USC quarterbacks to be core pretty quickly. I mean, we've already seen oh, yeah. that. I mean, obviously I mean, with Leinert, then you go to Sanchez. I mean, yeah, well, he goes on down well. Yeah, that worked out well. Sorry, Leinert, I mean, Matt Sanchez. Barkley. Just I go mean, to the line. I mean, the Jets have taken too many USC quarterbacks. That's what I keep saying. It's like, we got Barkley there. We got Sanchez there. It's it's, it's They don't need another guy. They've already done it. They've already tried it. Go to another school. Try to figure it out. Go to Luke Falk. 
There well, you go. I think what you have to do is you have to ask yourself the question, if New England, you know, Brady continues to play like he's doing and New England doesn't franchise him, would you rather have Luke Falk or would you, would you rather have Sam Darnold or Jimmy Garoppolo? You got to compare them to that. I mean, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you got to compare to Sean Kaiser to every quarterback in there. You just can't look at it on a linear basis. You got to look at everybody else. Would you rather have this quarterback versus the one you're playing? I think that becomes the problem. You got to kind of weigh all the factors. It's not A or B. It's, it's a false duality when it's A or B. It's A, B, and then there's a bunch of other things. I like that. I like that. False it's not duality. A, yeah, that's, that's a great term for this podcast. I mean, people didn't know we we're going to get that deep and different and levels. False duality yeah. is the hardest thing to do. That's where that's where that's where Bruce Arians makes his mistake. False duality is this: it's it's when you look at a problem and you think it's A or B when it's really C, D, E, or F, but you haven't thought it through. That's when you can make the best decisions. And coaches and chess players. This is why chess players chess players see. D, E, E, and F when they're looking at a move. They don't think A or B. A pool player doesn't see, well, if I hit this cue in here and I bring the cue ball back, he's thinking the other things going through. That's what makes a great coach. It's called false duality, and that's why coaches are good. That's why I have a hard time understanding why we're in a world where we're just giving guys, like Sean McVay, done a great job. I'm not criticizing. But when he's over on the sideline looking at his play sheet, he's not thinking about false duality. He's thinking about what he's going to call next in that way. And I think sometimes you, you would be better off as a coach to, to not do that. And we're going to jump into our word on the street, and it's actually going to come full circle to false dualities oh. because there's been a lot going on in the NFL. We did not touch on this on our Monday morning podcast, but obviously we saw last night Jerry Jones comes out with the entire Dallas Cowboys team. They take a knee in the center in the center of uh, Arizona Stadium, uh, and you know the crowd gives them a little boo, but then they get up before the national anthem actually starts. They lock arms. They do the whole thing. Um, when you're talking about false duality, a lot of this stuff is you know A or B. And there's a lot of stuff that that is ingrained in all this stuff moving down. There's a lot of C, D, E's, and F's in situations, but. Right. This whole Trump situation that happened over this weekend is now formed into it is the NFL versus the president versus Donald Trump. And it has changed the whole the process of kneeling, which was Kaepernick's original thing. Now the NFL has co-opted to now you've come at us, the brand, the shield that is the NFL that right. we are discussing today. And now that they are on this train and on this trend, it seems like the kneeling now is a totally different conversation and different discussion point where it's like, you're choosing A or B. You're the NFL or you're the president of the United States. And that's where we're at on the world on the street. We are in a position where you're basically choosing sides. And Jerry Jones obviously did that to make a statement last night. But I just want to say personally, it has completely changed the uh, the whole point of the conversation in the first place. Right. And now yeah. the NFL has completely co-opted for almost a, a marketing ploy themselves. And for that, and seeing Jerry Jones doing the whole thing. And, he and then stayed. they issued the statement that I wasn't sure really what that statement. They, and then they had to change it, the statement again. And it's a lot of false statements and, and a lot of statements that don't like, really I say anything. I think action speaks louder than words. I think that we have to, as a country, I think we one thing that's been proven out is we need some form of leadership. And Absolutely. somebody needs to come to the front and, and try to help solve the problems that we all see. And, and I would urge everybody to read a book called Everybody Lies. It, it was, I read it this summer and it was fascinating in terms of, of what really is going on. Google searches now determine more what's true. Nobody lies to Google. Nobody lies to Google, Tate Frazier. Nobody. Everybody, you sit at your computer tonight, you're going to tape, type in the truth in terms of what your Google search is. However, that being said, when you talk to the man on the street or you get polled the question, you're probably going to lie to that person. You're just going to tell them what they want to hear. And so I think what we really need to do is have a, a real deep conversation about what the truth is and what we can do to make a difference. Because making a difference is all that matters. We have to. And 
I think whether you kneel, whether you stand, whatever you decide to do, try to make a difference. That to me is the most important thing. And a lot of times dialogue is a difference. And right now it's a lot of tweets responded by statements, statements responded by tweets. Well, There's the, not, that's not a dialogue. That no, is, those are two not. separate things that are happening and on the same course. And we talked about this on the podcast earlier. You cannot make an emotional decision. Like you have to count. I used to tell my two sons all the time before they would go out, don't think three, don't think twice, think three times. Like don't go out and think, oh, should I do this? No, think three times. You know, and sometimes I think that little advice that you give your kids should be given to some adults in situations before you hit that button. Think three times. Is that really what you want to do? Is that really what you want to do? Is that something you really want to say? And can you back up what you want to say? To me, I've always believed is we need to find solutions, not create more problems. And unfortunately, that's what we've done. And the whole point is we should be talking about the solutions and we should be trying to address the problems yeah. and try to move forward and not continue to bring up the problems when you have your own personal problems that you're trying to avoid. And yeah. that is a lot of what's going on, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But it's been good to talk about it, though, Tate. It has been. It has been. It's uh, the elephant in the room. It is and the elephant in the room. Elephants. <laughs> I do love going to the zoo. But we just had to address that. And uh, I'm sure it'll continue to come up as we talk about football for the rest of the season. But uh, final thoughts. I mean, we're heading into week four right now. This is going to be the week of uh, last week. We learned a lot about teams that we thought that we already knew. And now we're going to move into week four. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I, I love looking, I love listening to Sal and Bill on the podcast and talk about that and guess the lines and all that. But, you know, when I, <laughs> I, when I look at this just off the top of my head, you know, and I see this, I, I think Tennessee going into Houston and Houston's a home underdog with Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fast to see how he handles that. And, and then, you know, the Charger of Eagle games, a pick them. I mean, really? I think that's a, I think that's such a trap game for the Eagles. You're it talking is about, such a trap game. That's uh, what I, I mean. It's really like you talk uh, about the ego inflated. You have that huge walk off win, and then you got to fly across the country to, to a team that's zero and three that should be, you know, in some regards, possibly two and one, three and zero. But I think the one that's a sleeper. I think the Rams and getting eight points in in Dallas is really a hell of a bet. Like if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, Sean McVay knows that defense better than it. He's played against it at Washington. He scored points. They've won there. He can he can make his offense and Goff as much as I've been critical of Goff and I have been. He's a 7 on 7 quarterback that can play. When he has to play fast, it's not effective. He won't have to play fast against Dallas. So I think he could be effective. I think that's a game where Dallas, if Jason Garrett is going to be the head coach of the game. He's got to sit <laughs> I think there. he will be. He's got to sit. If he wants to win the Gruden Award again for two <laughs> weeks in a row, he's got to sit there and say, we have to control this football for 36 minutes or we will be in a problem. And if he does that, then that means Sean McVay's offense will only have a 24. They won't win. But if that that is a 30-30 game, I think the Cowboys could get beat. I think they could too. I, I, I was That's just my, I mean, only because, of the, because they know each other. Like the Rams know the Cowboys – Offensively, they know what Marinelli is going to do. They know his adjustments. There's going to be no surprises. That's a huge advantage. That's a big advantage. And I will say the Cowboys—they look like they righted the ship last night. And that's another one of those weird yeah, mental exercises. Yeah, they're going to go home and pat themselves on the back. Exactly. You know, and exactly. so everybody's going to drink the Kool Aid. And like Bob Knight said, if we could keep them in, a, if we can keep them away from all of it, we'd be good. Thank you for that, Coach Knight. Uh, we'll be back Sunday night. Thanks for listening to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll be back soon. <laughs>